0: Welcome to the Automation Unplugged Podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features Brenna Bazden, content writer and SEO specialist at One Firefly. Brenna based and graduated magna cum laude from the University of North Texas in 2014 with a bachelor's in English literature and certificate in technical writing. After college and spending some time as an assistant manager in retail, Brenna moved into a marketing position for an oil and gas company in Houston, Texas, where she wore many hats in marketing for a few years. In 2018, she left the oil and gas industry, moved to Austin, Texas, and started her journey as a content writer at OneFirefly. In early 2019, Brenna joined the product development team, working on the copy for One Firefly's award-winning Mercury Pro website solution for integrators. In 2021, Brenna was promoted to SEO specialist at OneFirefly where she now leads our SEO strategy and team. Outside of One Firefly, Brenna is a cat lover and enjoys all things fitness, and she is a known music fanatic. We live streamed this interview on social media on Friday, December 10th, 2021 at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed the role of a copywriter and their impact in marketing trends in copywriting and SEO and its role within your website, SEO bad practices to avoid, and fitness trends and their health benefits. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into the interview with Brenna Basden. Brenna, we we finally made it happen, despite all of our technical snafus.
1: We did. I'm so honored to be a part of Automation Unplugged, alongside so many industry elites and even some of our, you know, other One Firefly peers. So this is really exciting.
0: So, Brenna, why don't you tell our audience what uh, how how long have we been trying to actually do this? What happened in our last yeah. attempt at going live?
1: Well, we attempted to do this last Tuesday, and we had some issues with the software. And, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. And you roll with what you can. And we decided the best decision uh, was to just reschedule. So <laughs> that's what we did. And here we are.
0: Awesome. And, and it almost blew up on us 10 minutes ago, but we pushed forward and uh, <laughs> we are here.
1: Oh, man, it, it did. What can, can you do?
0: What can you do? You just keep a smile and keep pushing forward. Brenna, for our audience uh, that is tuning in, and they're either watching us live. Thank you if you're watching live. Give us a like, give us a comment. Tell us where you're coming to us from. And here's Maggie. She's a One Firefly leader, and she says she's proud of you, Brenna. And Maggie, it is that is awesome. Thank you, Brenna. And uh, my wife is tuned in. She says hi, Brenna.
1: Hey, hey, y'all.
0: And. uh, There you go, fellow team member that's been on the show, Wes. He says, uh, "Welcome to home automation." Finally, I know Wes. We made it happen. It was, <laughs> hey, Wes.
1: It was uh,
0: it was a challenge. Uh, Maggie, uh, Maggie, uh, Brenna, what uh, what does it mean to be a content writer and an SEO specialist at One Firefly? What does uh, what do you do?
1: Whew. Well, what I do currently, I guess I'll I'll back up a little bit. Uh, I joined the One Firefly team in 2018, and I had come to the company with a couple years under my belt working uh, in marketing for a small oil and gas technology company in Houston. And that was my my first experience in marketing. I wore hundreds of hats. We all know marketing involves so many hats, and I was wearing all of them over there, which was great. But at the same time, because I was new and I was kind of becoming this quote, jack of all trades, but master of none type of situation. And I, I really wanted to dive into uh, content writing because that was what I was good at. That's where my background was. And um, so I moved, I, that's what led me to One Firefly. So in 2018, I started as a content writer here and it has been a while, three and a half years now Um, And I just recently was promoted into um, a a brand new role, SEO specialist. So I'm I'm really excited to dive into that position right now. I'm still in the process of getting onboarded and I'm doing some training uh, in relation to SEO. And um, so I'm still, I'm still, you know, responsible for some of my content writer uh, tasks. Um, But I'm, I'm so excited to jump into this new position that I think will, will be kind of uh, speeding up in 2022. What does it mean to be
0: a content writer at One Firefly? What does that <laughs> job do, and and what do you do, and and why do you do those things? Why do we do that type of work for clients?
1: So to be a content writer at One Firefly, it is a it's a big job. Um, it's challenging in a really great way. I think from you know if I if I summarize it um, as small as I can, we're writing copy so in the form of blogs landing pages uh custom copy on websites newsletters Um, we used to do social but as we've grown we now have a specialized social media team who have taken that off our plates um so we're creating copy to help keep our clients uh relevant and fresh online and also to make sure that they're being found by their ideal target audience, the people that they want to get in contact with and do projects for. So the content that we're writing, we're setting them up as um, industry thought leaders, but we're also creating content that answers relevant questions that their audiences are looking for, that they're researching new products, uh, what are the benefits of certain technologies, how can I find a landscape lighter, or landscape lighting designer in my area? Things like that. Um, we're creating copy that helps our clients get found by who they're looking for.
0: Got it. And don't forget folks, if you're tuned in, uh, drop your questions in. Uh, here in my live feed on my screen, I see your questions coming in from Facebook and uh, my software doesn't give me the live feed from LinkedIn. But uh, I will be fielding the LinkedIn questions. Uh, Brenna and I will be fielding any questions that you have uh, in post or after the the live recording. We'll we'll drop over to the LinkedIn and answer those questions. Or my team is also tuned in there, and they'll they'll try to field those questions. Uh, Brenna, let's go if you don't mind a little bit into your background. What uh, what did you end up studying? And uh, you know, kind of maybe in a little more detail, chart this course that led you to ultimately deciding you wanted to grow your career as a, in a digital agency and writing and SEO. You know, did you start out uh, in in marketing or or what did you? I'm gonna go back to college. What what was that yeah. area of interest?
1: Yeah, let's travel all the way back in time to college. <laughs> my uh, my journey to where I am today has been really wild, all over the place. I actually uh, when I went to school um, back in 2010. I uh, went for music theory and I've played piano all my life. Big music nerd, a uh, big music theory nerd. And that was where I thought I wanted to go initially. Really quickly realized that's not what I wanted to do. Um, I still do music as a hobby and on my own, but I decided it wasn't something I wanted to do professionally.
0: What do you do with a the music theory degree? Like what's normal? What's the normal career path for someone?
1: It can be, it can, kind of go in a lot of places, but what I wanted to do it for was I wanted to become a music theory professor. I basically wanted to teach it. And, uh, I, I realized not even, I mean, I barely even started freshman year of college when I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I was lucky in that I figured it out pretty fast. Um, so it didn't extend my, my college, uh, career very long. Um, I was able to switch it out pretty fast, but I, I decided to move into my second love, which was, uh, English and English language arts and writing and linguistics and all, all of that, all of the things that were involved in the English uh, degree. So I moved into that and, um, I actually, my, my focus was going to be teaching. So English language arts, I was going to teach high school. I was all, I was, I was ready. I got all the way to the end of my senior year of college. I was student teaching And when I got into the classroom, which I don't know why, but in the, at my school, you don't get into the classroom until the very, very, very end. (laughs) It's all theoretical. And then real life application happens at the very end. And that was this huge wake up call for me. I was in the classroom teaching and observing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to do this. (laughs) So it happened again. And uh, this one was scary because it was at the end of my college career. I mean, I was about to graduate and I was like, what do I do? Um, So I, you know, spoke with my advisor, figured it all out. I ended up switching my degree to English literature, um, which really didn't involve a big change because a lot of those, there's a lot of overlap there. So, um, you know, meanwhile, I was going through school, I was working as an associate in retail and just, you know, make money through college. And I was doing that part time. But uh, when I was in my last year of college, I was promoted to assistant manager, and I was able to handle that while taking while taking classes. So I said, "Why not? I like my team. My job is fun right now. I'll make more money. Cool. Get some manager experience." So I stayed in that role um, until after I graduated, just to kind of you know continue supporting myself, but figure out what I wanted to do long term because retail just wasn't for me long term. Um, and while I was Figuring it out, um, I actually was contacted in 2016 by an old family friend who was the CEO of that small oil and gas technology company in Houston. And he decided to give me a chance. He said, hey, we have an open position for a marketing person here, brand new entry level. Um, and based on you know, what he knew about me and my work ethic, my personality perhaps, uh, my background at school, he thought I might be a good fit. Um, and you know, he knew I was going into it with very little to know experience with marketing, but um I I learned so much. I decided to take the job, so I moved to Houston and I was really excited about it because this was kind of putting me into a new career path, out of retail, into something that could just be potentially super fun and, and challenging. And there's so many ways you could go. So i took it and i as i said i think at the beginning of this was i i wore so many hats in marketing in that in that position i did everything under the sun seo email marketing uh what else did i do um networking i did event planning i did even some branding and some logo creation i did so much and it was an awesome experience but like i said all of those can be. All of those are their own fields and their own specialties. And I really wanted to to hone in on one and get really good at it. And that's what eventually led me to run Firefly.
0: What What was your first impression of the custom
1: integration industry? And you, did you know about it before you joined us? I did not know about this industry. I did not. Um, I was overwhelmed I think is a good way to put it. Um, it can be
0: intimidating.
1: It There's so much and you know now that I've been here three and a half years I while I've learned way way more now than I did obviously when I started um, you know I think that it's it goes to say that this industry it's you can you're always learning you know um, there's everything's changing it's always evolving there's new trends coming down the pike it's just you you have to stay sharp to stay on top of everything, and I think that that's great. It keeps it from getting boring. You know you're always learning new things uh, in order to be successful at your job. Um, it's a, It's a big industry to to take to take in and to learn, but um, it's awesome. I think this industry is so interesting. so yeah, you,
0: you and Debbie on our team were principal copywriters for our Mercury Pro product, our Mercury Pro website product that we released sure. in September of 19. But the reality is that product is ever growing and it's we're adding new content every month. And why don't you maybe talk about what your experience was writing the copy for that website product that is the base framework for hundreds of websites throughout our industry now. And so may, keep in mind, our audience may not know what that is. So, you know, in your own ways, describe the project.
1: Sure. Sure. I was brought into the Mercury pro copy, um, project kind of early in, not maybe not too early, maybe in a, a year or so into my, my role at one firefly. And I learned that the, um, the reason behind that was, you know, besides being confident in my ability to, to write copy for the for the product. Um we had Debbie who was a very, very seasoned veteran writer. Um, and then we had me who was new and had maybe a different take, a different uh take on writing creatively. Um, and so we brought in kind of a newbie and a veteran together to create this this product. And um, I was definitely nervous um, because I knew I knew the pressure, you know, the weight of this product um and I wanted to deliver what it did was it forced me to really put on my creative writer cap. Um we wrote this copy for a particular buyer persona uh, based on some research we had done, you know, who is the ideal client that our Uh, that our clients are wanting to target. And the copy that we're creating for this website model needed to speak to those people. And so we had to do research not only on buyer personas, but of course on the technology, the solutions that our our clients' customers are looking for. Um, And we had to write about it in a way that those people can understand um, and that's engaging and um, that speaks to the solutions and you have to be creative all at the same time. So it was a big take on, um, but I really think that that kind of catapulted me into the industry. Um, I was forced to learn so much in kind of a more limited amount of time. And um, I'm really grateful to have been part of that that product because I think that it was a big stepping stone for me, getting more involved and you know educated into the industry.
0: From your perspective, and I, I, we have a question here from Wes. I'm going to put up in just a second, but uh, from your perspective, what's the importance of the written word on a website? The idea, you know, a website has, of course, images and videos, uh, and then it has, you know, it has copy. What what is the importance of that? And and maybe speak to both the visitor that might be reading it, but also the Google side of the equation and kind of the balancing act that has to happen.
1: Sure. So when writing copy, we're looking at it from two perspectives. One, we're looking at it from the audience, and you know, who are writing to and what are their intentions? What are they searching for? And how can we Make sure we're answering those questions and we're providing the information that they're looking for in a high quality, valuable way. Um, And then the other side of that coin, um, when we're creating copy is we're also writing for search engines, primarily Google. And we're making sure that the copy we're writing is easy to understand, to navigate, to index on the search engine side. So, you know, you can have amazing content that answers questions all day, but if it isn't optimized for the right search queries, um, if it's not easy to understand, if it's not well organized, um, Google's going to have a hard time presenting that information to the right people. And so, you know, as as writers, we're having to kind of balance both of those sides as we're creating copy.
0: What is the process, and I'm going to say from a research standpoint, if you're going to write about a topic and you know, I'll, you know, we are doing more work on the commercial side of, of the world these days, and we're still doing the resi and the resi commercial, but we're picking up more commercial clients. And so there's topics that are, are now in our mix that maybe historically we didn't write about. And, you know, I'll say unified collaboration type technologies, huddle rooms, Zoom rooms, team rooms. Like as a writer, what do you do when you're handed a subject that maybe you haven't written before?
1: That's a great question because that does happen pretty often.
0: <laughs> uh, Especially in this industry, for sure. Yeah,
1: in this industry, you know, we're not writing about motor HAs every day. We're writing about new stuff. Um, I'll say from personal experience, uh, when that happens, I think the first thing that I do is I have a conversation with the account manager who's a little bit more client-facing and has had communication with our clients regarding certain long-term, you know, long tail key phrases, or around new services or products um, that they want us to speak to. So I'll have conversations with them. Um, I've also, you know, had I'll call the call the client and speak with them and get that firsthand, um, you know, ex- conversation with those who are not only selling it but really, really understand what it is, the benefits how they're selling it, why, to whom, and, um, you know, get those answers so that we can really appropriately speak to what we're writing about.
0: Got it. No, that makes sense. I want to pull a lot more threads on some of the words you used, like long tail phrases and keywords. But before I go there, I want to respect the question that uh, Wes has put forth. What says, uh, hey, Brenna? Are there emerging trends or new technologies that have been becoming more popular recently regarding content requests or editorial directives? Does anything stand out? That could be, I guess, either brands you're seeing being requested more, or maybe solutions or services that are now now being requested for you and the writers, maybe that weren't, you know, in years past. Anything that jumps out at you?
1: Um, If I'm, if I'm understanding the question correctly, are we speaking about like topics that we're writing about the writers are writing about?
0: That's my interpretation of, of his question. I don't think he's talking SEO methods or writing methods. I think it's really topic topically from an editorial calendaring standpoint. Are there things being talked about or being requested more now than in the past?
1: I see. I see. That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, it's, with this industry with things are you know always changing and new things are always coming down the pike, it feels like every month. Um, I would say things that are maybe more new that we're writing more about, I, I think we're speaking a little bit more to wellness technology, uh, you know, air water purification, circadian lighting. That was kind of a, a really big trend that hit that was predicted to hit the market back in 2020. And while it's been a slower trend, Um, I think the value of it is really starting to resonate. And so, you know, we're continuing to write about wellness technology. Um, I think we're also, right, we're starting to focus a lot more on commercial. So we're bringing in, you know, we're talking about um, integration with Zoom and different types of software-based video conferencing solutions and how, how those are getting integrated into not just conference rooms, but how are we, you know, how are... They helping with hybrid models in the workplace, especially now that a lot of people are working remotely, but they're still having to cater to, um, you know, on-site teams as well. So we're writing a lot about solutions related to hybrid workplaces and working from home is still a really big one that I'm seeing. Yeah, I would would say those are probably the biggest things I'm seeing uh, right now. Let's talk
0: about the. The, you know, there's copy on a website, the words on a website, maybe on your company page, maybe on your process, or maybe on a uh, even a, it could be a gallery or a case study page. And then there's also uh, the copy in the format of this thing called a blog. And can you maybe speak from your perspective as a writer, content creator, the benefit of a blog on a website and the benefit of a blog in a marketing strategy? Like when that content exists, what else then is now possible?
1: Oh man, so many things. It's so, so many things. I'll say, I'll start off by saying blogs, producing blogs on a regular basis is so beneficial for your web presence. Um, it's your freshness factor is up high. You're always producing new copies of Google that's signaling to Google that you're on it. You're relevant. You know what you're talking about. You're a thought leader. um, and so that just by itself is a great way to keep yourself, um, relevant and online, um, and found. So I would say right away, that's one benefit of blogging, but when it's optimized for, for long tail key phrases uh, or search queries, if it's optimized correctly for what is being um, asked online by the target by your target audience, uh, you have a high even higher chance of being found by the right people, being found on page one of Google for those questions, for those search queries. Um, well, oh goodness, what else? Also producing blogs, you have uh, the opportunity to share new, to, to repurpose that content, share it on your social media channels, mm. send it out via e-newsletters, you're sharing new copy, you're actively getting it in front of your audience, um, not just relying on Google SERPs, but you know, you're saying, hey, look, here's new content, check it out. Uh, it, that gives people the opportunity to share it with others as well. Um, It's just, it's kind of a snowball effect. There's so many many benefits to blogging.
0: How realistic, in your opinion, is it for a website, or I'll call a business that has a website, my goodness, I hope your business has a website. So for a website to get found in search, if the website does not have a blog, so let's just say that's not part of the strategy, what are the other things that a business should be doing? In terms of SEO, and then what do you think are some reasonable expectations they should have from those efforts?
1: Well, I'll say, you know, if you have a website, great, you definitely should. Um, if you're not blogging, you are lessening your chance to be found online because you're not uh, refreshing your site, and you also are not accumulating URLs, pages that can that Google can index and and ex- present. Um, on their on their.
0: How, how important are those pages? So let's just pull that thread. So the idea that a blog adds pages to a website, if I'm not blogging, what would that mean I would need to be doing? Adding pages to the website? I mean, cause you could do that. That's a viable option, right? Adding new like solutions pages? Yeah, solution pages or you know, other pages to the website other than a blog.
1: You could, you can. Um, but, you know, eventually you're going to run out of <laughs> solutions, <laughs> pages to be creating. And and also, you know, one of those really helpful things about writing blogs is you can speak to your audience. You can answer the questions that they're asking online and be found for those answers or tools or solutions. Um, you know, blogging, you can get so creative with what you're writing about and with the proper research, if you know what your audience is researching you can curate copy that answers those questions and if you're doing it regularly all, I mean you're just you're the value of your site presence the performance of your website of getting people to you and ultimately leading to sales um it's just it's much much bigger
0: is there a method that should be practiced, and, I, and I'm going on record here saying when Firefly, I think, does not do what I'm about to ask you to talk about, but we might do it in the future. Um, but is there a method to going into blog content, maybe that was written two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, and actually doing something to it so that Google might give it you know, a new take or a new look to maybe help you show up in search?
1: Yes. Yes, that is a real SEO strategy that a lot of SEO uh, specialists do um, and departments do. Uh, Refreshing content is a really important thing to be doing and not just to be refreshing it, to be refreshing it. I mean, you want to be intentional about what content you're refreshing. Do you have blogs out there that speak to product reviews? Maybe they need to be refreshed because that product is different now. Um, or maybe you have some time sensitive blogs where you're talking about the holidays, or you're talking about something that if it's found on search, maybe won't resonate as well. It's not as up to date. Um, maybe best practices on how to design a conference room that has changed so much in the last, I mean, just in the last year or two. Um, so, you know, knowing what content you want to be refreshing and why, um, that's a really important thing that we, that, you know, marketing departments should be doing. Um. And also, it does help with freshness factor. You know, Google sees that you're regularly updating your content for relevancy, and you're not just changing the publication date. You're not just, you know, putting 2021 in there. You're really optimizing, re-optimizing the content um, to help your readers. Google sees that and rewards you for it. So that, and then also, as you uh, create new content, you have more internal links, and internal links is just one strategy out of so many related to seo that will help your performance and help you help the right content get found um, in front of the right people but as you're writing new content you have new links that you can use and so going back to old copy that maybe at that point you didn't have a lot of um links to you know relevant links to help your readers click and learn more things about certain topics as you grow and you um, create more content you have more opportunity to internally link relative uh topics together to help your reader click learn more things about uh you know maybe home theater design or networking infrastructure um when you write more content around that you have more opportunity for internal linking and sometimes it has to happen retroactively because like i said when you start you don't have a lot to work with but as you grow you have a lot more to work with and so it definitely helps to go back and just look at those older maybe higher performing blogs on your page that could perform even better if you update the internal links, the content inside of it, things like that.
0: Now, I I will look at, I mean, I'm looking, I'm talking to integrators every day. I'm looking at their websites and I'll look at a a website and the owner is very proud because they have a blog and I'll look at that blog and it will be, I'm going to use a term, uh, it'll be written about home theater. Right. And I look down at the bottom of that blog and it maybe has the term it maybe it's tagged home theater. And my first immediate reaction is that this webs, this blog is a cool blog and it's going to be beneficial to visitors on the site, but it's probably not going to perform great for search because there's a difference between, you know, national SEO and local SEO. Can you maybe yes. speak about that and and what that is what that is and why that matters to these local service based businesses?
1: Sure. So if you're wanting to write a blog and you want it to be found for home theater, you would think, okay, I'm just going to put the that's going to be my key phrase. I'm going to put home theater in the title. I'm going to talk about home theaters, and then you go maybe you know you publish it, wait a couple months, you look and you you do some uh, analytics and you see that you're not showing up for home theater. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. One home theater is a massively high volume search term. Um, it's huge. And at the other, the other end of the coin there is that you're not searching for, um, or you're not optimizing for your, your area. So our clients, you know, they, they're going in and they're doing products, projects in their area. So it's really, really important that if you want to be found for home theater, your next step there should be to be optimizing not just for home theater, but for the location that uh, the locations that you service. But even take that a step further, because again, home theater, even if you tag um, a geolocation to that, it's still gonna be a pretty high volume um, key phrase. So dialing it back a little bit more um, and really, and again, this is where research comes into play. What are your, What is your audience really searching for? A lot of people are not just typing in home theater, Austin, Texas. They're asking a question about home theater there. Maybe they want to learn about, you know, what's the best TV I should get for my home theater or maybe not TV projector. Um, you just know,
0: acoustic panels for my home theater. Right. Maybe the best, who's the best installer, home theater installer in in Austin.
1: Yes. Who? Yeah, exactly. I, I need a home theater designer. I'm. Who's the best home theater designer in Austin, you know, Things like that, they're asking questions. These are called long tail key phrases, they're a lot more specific. But if you target if you optimize your copy for these long tail key phrases, while the volume search is smaller, the quality of leads, the quality of clicks that you're going to get from that is a lot higher because they are, those people are looking for specific answers and you're really catering to the people in your area, asking those questions. So the chances that you will get connected to someone who maybe hasn't turned into a sale the first day, but they find you and they remember you. They say, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. They're in my area. They they offer this service. Their blogs are really interesting. They seem to know their stuff. I'm going to keep them in mind. They might keep you in mind or they might contact you right then and there. Um, You know, it just depends on where they are in their own buyer journey, but Yeah. You want to really be specific. That's the key.
0: What uh, is a personal question. What interests you about SEO, right? You, when we posted that we won Firefly, we're going to create this new role. You applied from within and were interviewed amongst members of our team and you, you were awarded that, that new position. What is it that about, what is it about SEO that excites you or interests you?
1: The first thing that, really interests me about SEO is that it's always changing. And, um, you know, Google's always updating their algorithm. Um, you know, the things that they, that they measure to, you know, with, with your content and your website to make sure that they're bringing the best answers to search queer people who are uh, asking questions online. Um, so SEO practices are always changing. And I think that Initially, is what intrigued me because it isn't this like static thing. You know, you're always having. If if you want to be good at your job, if you're an SEO, you really have to constantly be uh, on it. You know, you need to be researching. You need to be knowing where to go to find these updates, and you need to be making sure that what you're doing on your website, your content, things like that, um, you're you're reflecting those changes. Um, It's it's um, very complex and i think when i started as a writer i didn't have a ton of knowledge of seo it was pretty rudimentary but i started to um be a little bit more curious about it when writing blogs because you know i was asked, asking questions like i would be really proud about something i would write and i'd be like i want to go see who's read it and who's who who where has it been in on the on the search, on the search uh, page and how many times have people read it and how long were they on that page those are things I like really just wanted to know because I was so proud of a piece I wrote and all of that though, is very related to SEO. So, um, I think that that's kind of where my curiosity sparked was when I started writing for one firefly. Um, and you know, as writers, we do already follow like a set SEO practices to ensure that the content we're creating is being found by the right people. Um, But we didn't really have a writer on the writer side who was really intimately involved in the ongoing algorithm changes and SEO best practices and making sure our content was really answering the right questions. Make sure, you know, as we right now, we're looking a little bit more into formatting copies so that it can be found in rich snippets on Google or, you know, as Google's search engine uh, result pages display changes. You want to make sure that your content is formatted properly so that it's being displayed correctly and still being displayed on page one. So we didn't really have a writer who was, um, you know, intimately involved in all of those things. And now that we have that need as we grow, there's more SEO production. I was like, Ooh, I, me, I'm interested. (laughs) I want to learn more about that. You know, I want to see how I can work with the AMs, with our account managers, uh, you know, cause they're obviously very involved with SEO. They're doing our keyword research. They're doing our reporting, our analytics, our all of that stuff. And um, the writers are writing. So I think that I might be kind of this nice liaison that brings everyone together on the same page related to SEO and making sure we're actually implementing the things that we're finding.
0: Why is SEO changing? You said you enjoy it because it's always changing. There might be some people scratching their head saying, why is it changing like what, what is happening in the ecosystem that means the methods practiced need to constantly evolve
1: yeah i think that's a great question so if we look to google google's goal google's goal is to make sure that when someone goes onto their browser and types in a question or types in whatever they they want to search about that the thing the results that show up on page 1 are the most relevant Uh, results for that person. I mean, Google's its own business. They want to perform as best as they can to keep people using Google, to keep people on Google. Um, And so they want to bring up only the best results. And so to do that, they're they're changing their algorithm um, based on a lot of it is based on users. So how are users searching for things? Uh, that has been changing drastically. We have people using mobile much more. We have people who are using voice um, to ask questions. So Google's changing their results based on things like that. Um, and then they're also, because they want their quality, the quality of their results to be great, as great as they can be, they're also um, making sure that what, whoever's coming up on their page, um, you know, their website is secure, They don't have any uh, black hat types of um, optimization that they're really answering the questions that they have high quality content. And all of that is all of those things now, you know, that's not how it used to be. Um, And so Google's slowly changing the way that they measure content um, to make sure that it's reflecting those things.
0: But a rapid fire here, uh, we'll call this the lightning round. What are some things that you should not do if you actually want to have your website show up on page one of search, what are some SEO bas uh, bad practices?
1: Oh man, there's a lot of them. Um, I would say first thing hiding, uh, keyword stuffing. So that's kind of a big thing. I think a lot of people at this point know what that is. You know, uh, Google is bringing up results based on key phrases and queries. So you might be like, oh, you know, I really want to be found for all of these questions and all of these terms. So I'm just going to stuff them all, you know, in into the back end of my site or maybe in the footer and, and make the, the type. the um, Sorry, my cat is being she, very hyper. She right wants now. your <laughs> attention. Yeah, she's, she does. She's like, get off. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, keyword stuffing, that's a really big no-no. Google will p- penalize you for that one. Um, Another one is uh, link farming. So backlinking, one of the, um, I guess, things that Google looks for when uh, grading or deciding the quality of a website is how many backlinks that you have, which means how many other sites are linking to you. And a lot of people, when when they figured that out, they would create link farms and just create new sites and link themselves from it and just, you know uh accumulate number of backlinks. Well, Google now knows if you're doing that. And um so that's definitely a bad practice. You want to get quality backlinks that are genuine, um, that come from relevant sites and that have uh ideally have a pretty high domain authority as well. Um I could go on. Those are two pretty popular ones, but there's definitely more.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, those are great. And I'm mindful of time. And I know that you are big into fitness. And I know that because here at One Firefly, we, have a, we use Slack and we have a, a Slack fitness channel. Now, I'm in that channel only so that I can be made to feel guilty. And uh, <laughs> I'm not the best practitioner of everything that you guys do in that channel. But uh, maybe talk about the role of fitness in your life.
1: Oh yeah. I I love this, this topic so much. Um, we do have a fitness channel, as you mentioned on Slack where, um, I think it started, you know, we have a lot of different, uh, channels there that are related to personal, um, hobbies and interests. So we can chat water cooler chat, you know, with our, with our, uh, teammates about books and food. And one of them is fitness. And, uh, right now we're doing a weekly fitness challenge that's led by uh, one of my teammates Liz and Wes has led it before in the past. I've done it before before that. Um and she puts it in a challenge every week. We do it if we want. Um but what's really encouraging about it is so many people participate and encourage each other to participate as well and it's it's so fun. Um that t- that channel is especially uh special for me because I've been in I've loved fitness now for goodness, I don't know, 10 years. Um, but it really holds a special place in my heart because when I first got into the fitness in realm, you know, whatever, um, I I went into it for aesthetic reasons. I um I think everybody does when they're first kind of like, I'm gonna start working out because I wanna look different. Um so that's kind of what brought me into lifting was I I wanted to look different and really quickly when I started lifting that, that reason, that why you do lift just disappeared. Now it's really, I lift because it makes me feel incredible. Um, I, so my, my main area of fitness is lifting weights. I love to lift heavy. It's like my thing. Um, and I love it because it makes me feel so confident. You know, there's nothing like going into the gym and lifting super heavy and being like, heck yeah, I accomplished that. You know, I lifted heavy, heavier this week than I did last week. And, you know, there's so many ways that you can challenge yourself. And I, on the other side of the coin, I mean, lifting is so beneficial for you. It's not just like you build muscle or you look or you change the way that you look. I mean, it helps with joints. Um, it, you can gain bone density. It helps, um, speed up your metabolism. So you do actually burn more calories at rest when you have more muscle mass. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just so many benefits to lifting. And I love to be, I love being an advocate for it. Cause I think a lot of people are afraid of lifting heavy because they think it's going to make them really big and bulky and they don't want to be bulky. And I've learned, I mean, I had that, that was my thought about it. As well, before I was really uh, knowledge, or before I became knowledge, uh, knowledgeable in the um, in lifting, and I learned that really to get big, that has to be your goal. You have to really intentionally want to get big for it to happen, and it's going to take a long time. Um, and you really, what gets you big, quote unquote, isn't even lifting; it's how much food you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love just preaching about lifting and the benefits of it and, and trying to flip that narrative of, Oh, lifting makes you big. Cause it really doesn't, um, what's, it your, cad- you
0: healthier. What, what's your cadence? How often do you hit the gym? I mean, is this a, a once a week thing? Is this a everyday thing? Like what's your, what keeps you happy?
1: I um, am in the gym. I have a home gym actually or accumulated all my own weights and stuff. Um, I work out about five times a week. So, you know, and I, I definitely prioritize recovery. Rest is just as important as exercising. Um, so, you know, I definitely prioritize that. So if, if I'm ultra sore, then I'll, I'll take it down a notch. But about five times a week, I'm in there lifting pretty heavy. And I want
0: to venture, I know my listeners are eager to learn this stat. You can do a lot of pull-ups and you can do more pull-ups than me by a lot. <laughs> So (laughs) how many pull, how many pull-ups if you were challenged to go, we're not going to make you do it, but if you were to go and like go and crank out some pull-ups, how many could you do?
1: My max that I've tested is 15, 15 strict pull-ups, no bands, no kipping. Um, And it's challenging. Getting to 15, it's hard. If you were to see me do it, I'm definitely struggling on like rep 12 to 15, but I, but I, that's my max. Um, and I actually, one of the, our recent challenges in the fitness channel was to pick one exercise that you uh, want to do over the course of a week and decide how many reps of that exercise you want to do and try to try to do it. And so for me, I was very ambitious and chose 350 pull-ups in a week. And I, um, I can thank Wes for that one. Cause Wes said 350 for himself first. And I was like, Oh, I got to do it too.
0: You so, had to do 351. Did you do 351
1: or did I you did do I did it. Uh, <laughs> I do not. One have done more. That. I should have done one more. No, I, did, I just did 350. So I did uh, 50 per day and it got hard really quick, really quick. But that was, you know, speaking back to fitness and goals, I felt so proud and accomplished after that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just one, another reason that keeps me going, keeps me wanting to work out and, and create these challenges for myself. It's awesome feeling.
0: Do you do it? uh, Do you work out in the morning or do you work out at the end of the day? Like, how do you, how do you manage that? And does it, does it give you energy after you do it? Or are you tired after you do it?
1: That's, oh, that's a good question. I work out in the evening. And so when I'm done, I'm kind of ready to wind down. So that might be, that might, you know, factor in. I would argue that people who work out in the morning probably say differently Um, I am actually envious of those who can get up at 5 a.m. and go running or go to the gym or go wherever they go to work out because I would love to be able to do it in the morning and just kind of get it over with. But I've been working out at 5, 6 p.m. for so many years now that that's just what my body is. My body clock is used to that. So when I wake up, I'm a zombie. But after work, I'm like, all right, time to go to the gym. Let's go. Yeah. So that's what I do. I I know
0: we have some team members here at one firefly that do get up at four or five and and hit the gym. And we do, I got to say more power to them. There's a lot of will and determination there. That's, that's, that's not easy to do. I agree. But it's not easy to work out five days a week either. So (laughs) all of those are, they have a one up on me. Well, uh, Brenna, it has been a blast having you on show 196 of automation unplugged. For those that are tuned in and they want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, uh, is there an email or any other, you know, follow you on Twitter? Is there any other channels that you'd want them to, to, to get in touch?
1: Sure. I think the best one is is email. So it's B uh, and then based in at onefirefly.com.
0: Awesome. Brenna, it was great having you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It was so fun.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.